Hey, what's going on, guys? This podcast is sponsored by KillCliff.com. KillCliff all-natural energy drinks, also strategic partners with the Navy SEAL Foundation. We're big fans. Their new CBD drink just came, just came out. We're actually waiting for our shipment. We just put it in our order. But I use the Recover. It has zero sugar, has electrolytes, uh, has uh, vitamin B complex, all the good things that you need in an energy drink getting rid of all the bad stuff that you don't need. If you use Survival10 on checkout, you'll save 10%. Killcliff.com. Also, this podcast is sponsored by TriarchSystems.com. T-R-I-A-R-C Systems.com. We're big fans of Triarch. We have their uh, truck guns. We have their pistols. I use their Glock 17 Charlie at every single training course that I teach pistol at. I also use their truck gun, which has a law tactical folder. If you use Philcraft, one word on checkout, you'll save 5% on a build. And that's pretty cool when you look at their custom pistols, carbines, and rifles. Uh, trust me, they're the best in the business. TriarchSystems.com. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Warrior Flask. We use Warrior Flask here at Philcraft Survival. All the guys have a Warrior Flask, and we carry our water in it. But also, Warrior Flask donates a flask for every purchase made to a first responder, and that's really cool. If you use Survival, you'll let them know that we sent you, uh, but also you'll save 10% on checkout at warriorflask.com. This podcast is also sponsored by TA Targets. We have TA Targets still. We run it for our long gun courses our pistol, and our carbine. We have thousands and thousands of rounds on these steel targets. TA targets, that's TangoAlphaTargets.com, stands behind their steel, and you could use their coupon, our coupon code, PhilCraft, one word, to save 10%, which is, a, which is really good on a uh, purchase of steel. Also, this podcast is sponsored by 511tactical.com. Look, 511 Tactical has been a strategic partner with Phil Craft Survival since the very beginning. We've been doing a lot of stuff together, including collaborations, and we have a lot of stuff in the near future. I was just in Temecula, California, teaching a free seminar in overlanding and stop the bleed, and we'll continue to do that throughout the nation. Right now, we actually just talked to Raul, and he's looking at going to Chicago to teach at 511 Tactical. But if you use Field 15, that's F I E L D 15 at checkout, you'll save 15%. Me and George are big fans of their Apex pants and their jeans because they have elastic and uh, big guys like us need elastic. You know what I'm saying? Uh, also, I want to give you a new sponsor, uh, which we just picked up called Valley Food Storage. You know, it's really cool because we do a whole bunch of survival stuff. One of the pillars of preparedness that we talk about is your your safe house or your home. So if you want to sustain and survival for the long term, uh, which is extended survival, you need to store at least 30 days of food. The guys at Valley Food Storage do just that. They have Irish Pub Cheddar. They have oatmeal. They have all these different uh, dry stored food available. It's uh, valleyfoodstorage.com. And you get five servings per pouch, which is awesome. It has a 25-year shelf life. And having that peace of mind, knowing you'll be prepared with clean and nutritious freeze-dried food that's packed with the fuel needed, that's huge in a survival situation. Every ingredient we use it, that they use is 100% clean, no GMOs, no filters, no preservatives, all natural, 
uh, no artificial ingredients ever while still maintaining that 25-year shelf life. So if you're looking at the 30 days, man, you got I cycle through my chow, so you could cycle through this and know that you have the peace of mind that it could last for 25 years. For limited time, you could use Fieldcraft. All you're going to do is text it to 29071. You're going to text Fieldcraft to 29071 for 20% off your first order. I'm actually going to use that code myself. Again, it's Fieldcraft. You need to text it to 29071, and you'll get 20% off your first order. That's awesome. All right, guys. So getting to the podcast with Tony Blauer, the subject matter expert on combatives, on neurological and psychological understanding of self-defense and combatives. It was an honor, and I'm super excited about the podcast and for you guys to take a listen. So let's go. Tony, thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. Hey, man. Very excited to be here. Yeah, I know it's been a while. We we uh, are both busy people, but uh, yeah, I appreciate taking the time to talk to us on the podcast and kind of go over your story. I know you've probably told your story a, a thousand times, but I think it's super important in readiness, and I appreciate you uh, obviously taking the time. Thanks, man. I mean, you know what you guys do uh, with your podcast. You know, you're not just a, like a like a shooting page or a or a tactical medicine page or a, like I love the post uh, recent post about uh, just like readiness. Are you ready today? The California, you know, forest fire yep, yep. Uh, video, um, and and I was excited to talk to you guys because I think a lot of people don't know my story. They just think of maybe I'm like like some knuckle dragger martial art you know, guy who, who preaches, you know, you know, fight, 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 which is not at all the story. Yeah. It's, what's interesting is, you know, just to get some context to my understanding of who you are, I heard your name, man, it it might've been 20 years ago. Like I started hearing your name 2000, right when I got, came out of selection, which, which was Oh three Oh four. And your name was always brought up in combatives and tactics and, whether it was the Blower suit or the spear system, it was always in the context. It was like this aura of a person. Like nobody knew who you were, and <laughs> nobody saw you. Um, but you were, you were always tied to combatives and tactics, and especially what we were doing in special operations. So the, to have the opportunity, actually, in 2019, well after my career, it's really cool to to be able to talk to you. And so I'm excited. I'm excited for myself to learn about your story. So I think that's a good start point for us in the podcast. Is you obviously have a, a significant career in everything from combatives to the mindset to the readiness, um, and you've started systems, but I want to kind of start at the beginning, like where you came from and then your upbringing to get you to this point. So let's just start there. Like where, where, where are you from? Uh, how did you get into martial arts? And I, we have plenty of time to talk about it. Sweet. So, um, I mean, before we jump into that, man, I'm I'm flattered and honored uh, with you know what you what you shared about hearing about me uh, back in the day. I I I am always in awe of you know when I when I step on a post or a base or or some compound or some organization who you know their 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 focus is just trying to make the world safer. I'm always in awe and and I always thank every group I teach that I have the opportunity to share and enhance. You know, you guys are world-class tactical athletes and it's hard to make an impact 
when people are working at that level. So just to be invited in or share an idea, uh, whether somebody adopts our methodology or not, it's it, it was a real thrill for me and that was never lost on me. So I just wanted to say that up front. So I appreciate everything that that you did while, while you were in and everything you're doing now, you know, now that you're out. So I appreciate you. that. It's mutual. Um, so interestingly, uh, I'm a U.S. citizen now, but I wasn't always. Uh, originally from Canada, and which which made my penetration into law enforcement, military, emergency services uh, a bit of a challenge in the '90s. But you know, we'll we'll get we'll you know we'll get to that. But I started off. I joke, you know, I was uh, raised in a log cabin by wolves. No, but I I uh, <laughs> I um I was a really good athlete. I grew up in Canada. And I say good athlete. I could play any sport, uh, just just could pick up stuff. And growing up in Canada, you're either a skier or a skater. Uh, my parents were both skiers. They were involved in the ski patrol and, uh, you know, so they're at a national level. So I literally was on skis when I was a year and a half, two years old skiing. And uh, whatever sport I played, whether it was wrestling, gymnastics, uh, you know, football, baseball, skiing, I always... Uh, played with fear of losing, fear of not being my best, fear of letting down my team, uh, and it was weird. And it was, it was an unconscious. Not well, it wasn't it was conscious to me, but it was undetectable to others. In other words, I maintained the facade uh, of of readiness, but inside, I wasn't what what modern sports psychologists would refer to as like in the zone, you know, just flowing. And, uh, so I would, I would be in a ski race, you know, worrying about thinking about, I hope I don't fall. I hope I don't wipe out. I don't lose control as opposed to just like, you know, hitting the strategy to get the best time. Mm -hmm. And the same thing when I wrestled or whatever I did, you know, if I had a big jump coming up, I'd be thinking, I hope I don't fall as opposed to, man, I'm going to nail this sucker. Right. So, uh, and the reason I bring this up and it's important is because, the study of an understanding and 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 managing a fear became an obsession of mine that I then intuitively, when I started teaching in 1977, uh, you know, I used all my students intuitively as guinea pigs in my meta metaphorical laboratory that was, you know, how to manage violence. And, um, so jumping ahead, uh, all these all these you know years, I'm 12 years old. I'm leaving a, a baseball game at our elementary school. I'm walking. I'm alone. I see two kids walking on the street. They wave to me. I wave to them. They go, "Hey," you know. They like gesture like they got a question for you. I walk over. They jump me. Uh, one pins me, grabs me behind. You know, pins my arms behind my back, and I'm like, "What's going on? What's going on?" Like. And they look at me, they go, uh, hey, are you going to uh, high school next year? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like adjacent to the elementary school, about 500 yards away was the big high school. And this guy Bolo punches me. He goes, he, he says, welcome to high. He punches me in the gut and says, welcome to high school. Now, as he goes to like do this Bolo punch, I'm thinking I'm dead, right? I'm 12 years old. Mm. Uh I'm getting jumped by two kids that are, you know, two or three years older than me. So they're way bigger at that age than 12 to 15. And, and I think this is going to kill me. Right. 
and but I've got my arms pulled behind my back so my my muscles are as contracted as they can be. You know, you got can you visualize that? It's like one guy's behind me. Oh yeah, I've been there before. Wrapped up. <laughs> but I but I think but I think it's gonna hurt me, right? So as he goes to hit me, I start to yell and and I scream almost like I channeled my sister at the time. Like I scream like a little, I hope I don't trigger anybody. I scream like a little girl. Ah! And he goes, whap, and he friggin' nails me, man. And I I like amplify and over-exaggerate because I think I'm he's gonna bust my ribs, I'm gonna die or whatever. And I noticed in that moment, and I'm just 12 years old, that my scream, which was way over the top affected their behavior mm. i picked up on that and i saw their eyes look at each other really like i like i mean i couldn't see the guy behind me but i saw the guy in front of me look at the guy behind me like shit that i just really hurt this kid oh and and in that moment my intuition said go for it scream again and i gasped as if like a like a i imagine like my ribs were crushed and i was dying like i was going oh, ah, and they let go of me and in a panic, they ran off. And as soon as they turned the corner, which was like a second and a half later, because we were we were near the edge of the woods, um, I'm on all fours on the ground, heaving. I see them leave, and I get up. I fix my shirt, and I say to myself, "Assholes," you know. And I fix my shirt, and I walk, <laughs> and I walk home. But it's like totally acting. And but it was something like. And this became years later when I was talking. We were doing like whether it was a a capture avoidance course, whether it was uh, a, a, a rape prevention course, it was understanding the psychology of the attacker, what they want, what they didn't want, uh, and understanding how to behaviorally manipulate people through your own behavior. Because, you know, the, the outcome, the goal in a violent encounter is to get away from the violence with as little violence occurring as possible, legally, morally, ethically, right? Mm -hmm. And then that changes depending on your scenario. The least amount of violence in one scenario is to is to terminate the danger. And the least violence in another scenario might be to barricade yourself or run. And so I tried to create this like reasonable and responsible approach. Not, you know, there's a lot of places where you go where, you know, like everything everyone is a hammer and, and every problem's a nail, right? And that's just that's just not like realistic anyways the, the the point here is i i at a very young age i was seeing this through this weird filter i went home uh my dad goes uh he goes oh how was your day you know i go well, i just got beaten up and he's like what and he tells me you got to learn some martial arts you know i said okay like like so it's tw you know i was 12 i just turning 13 bruce lee dies 1973 and martial arts just is everywhere. There was only one school near me. It was a Taekwondo school. It was about an, um, two miles away. Uh, you know, I had to walk to it or take my bike, get a lift. You know, there wasn't other other choice. So I started in Taekwondo at the age of 13. I became obsessed with it because my go back to the original story of being afraid of every sport. While I was afraid in here, I bought right into the 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 myth the logic the promises of empowerment through training in in martial arts and self-defense and uh uh so i worked out like every day I went to every class i could i accelerated really quickly i mean I, I would before i would get out of bed and take a leak and go brush my teeth 
I had a, I don't know if you remember, uh, the, uh, you know, like I had a little punching uh, pad called a Makiwara, was the Japanese name for it. I had it under my bed. When I'd wake up in the morning for school, I would slide that out and I'd smash that, toughening my <laughs> hand. My, I mean, I was totally obsessed, right? You know, I'd do push-ups and handstand push-ups and ab stuff. Like before, I'd, on my way to the bathroom, I'd throw kicks. And this is like 13, 14, 15. Um, I had a couple of altercations in school. My, my instructor, Alex, was really cool, really looked up to him. But he was very, very clear on rules of engagement. He, of course, didn't use that terminology, but... Um, he'd say, hey, if I catch any of you abusing this, you're out, you're done, mm-hmm. right? And and a lot of us, you know, we're all teenagers. We just lived for this type of structure and order and the sparring. And, and I thought it was going to be the answer to, to stuff. And it was building my confidence for sure. And um, when I was 15, 15 and a half, so I've been now training two and a half years. But I say this, I might have been training two and a half years by by just – like normal standards, but I was probably training seven and a half years because I trained seven days a week where most people would go three times a week. I went to every single class and I, and I trained on the weekends and, and, um, so it was like, you know, two to three times the input. And, um, so I'm 15 years old. I'm in class. The teacher steps out to go do something and the class erupts like, like a bunch of obnoxious 15 year olds were there, you know, throwing shit around and 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 there was this kid lance he was kind of the school nerd but he was a bit of a shit disturber too he was the guy like the the classical guy like with the big thick glasses with the tape in the middle of the glasses <laughs> um but he was also you know he got picked on but he but he was it was reciprocal like he was a shit disturber and so something starts with a couple of guys and we're all standing around laughing. And one of these guys goes and kneels down behind him. His buddy pushes him. Lance falls over and he falls into the teacher's um, uh, supply closet and all the class erupts laughing. And I happen to be standing there watching. Remember I'm 15 and a half, right? He thinks that it was me that was standing behind him that tripped him up. So he violently shoves me. Remember I told you like he, he like he was, he would reciprocate. And so I put my hands up in what I now call a nonviolent posture, fingers splayed outside 90, but I do it reflexively. I'm not taught that, right? Like in Taekwondo, you're taught like a side stance, you're hopping up and down, getting ready to punch out a side kick, you know, your throw back fist. Mm-hmm. And um, I put my hands up going, whoa, whoa. And, I, and I'm like, dude, like, what are you doing? He goes, you think that's funny? And he shoves me again. Well, he starts to move at me and, and at a behavioral level, I just like run to, to try and get away. Like, like somebody started to play tag. And the class is just fucking going insane, right? And I, I run, he, and he corners me. I'm at the back of the room. My hands are up. And I go, Lance, Lance, like it wasn't me, dude. Calm down. And he's furious. And you know this from past altercations and engagements that, that sometimes people go after the people that they think aren't the threat because that makes them feel tougher, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, they and they mistake that kindness for weakness, right? Well, I'm getting ready to do something because I feel like I can feel like this guy's getting ready to hit me. Holy shit. But I'm not invested in the fight because I had nothing to do with it. I was just the bystander, right? So I'm like, dude, calm down. My hands are up and I'm in what we call this nonviolent posture. And he's like, you could see him like, you know, uh, uh, he's turning red. He's like standing, you know, do one of these things. Come on, man, let's go. And he's, he's, he's calling me a fucking pussy, a coward. And I'm like, dude, and I hear in my head, and this is what's significant is my instructor's voice in my head is going, 
if I catch you fighting outside the school and it's not true self-defense, you are going to be expelled from your martial arts training. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, oh man, but like I'm got my literally I've got my back to the wall. I'm surrounded by kids. Uh, you know, everyone's going fight, fight, fight. Of course, there are no phones, otherwise everyone would be filming. But uh he is, I could see in his like carotid in his face that he's getting ready to blow. And I know. Like, this is that moment where we say, like, the danger was imminent, right? <laughs> and so and so I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And, of course, it doesn't occur to me to run out of the room or whatever. I'm 15, right? I'm, like, cornered. I got my back to the wall. But I hear my instructor Alex's voice in one part of my brain. And then another part of my brain, all I hear is this. He's too close to kick. He's too close to kick. He's too close to kick. And I'm not shitting you, man. It was like it was like the, like the devil and an angel on my shoulders. <laughs> and I was, like, in limbo. But I knew he was getting ready to blow. I could see him getting more angry. He, uh, I see him blade, left side forward, and he's balling up his fist. And he goes, come on, man, you fucking coward. I'll let you have the first punch. And I knew if it went like a second longer, he was going to try and sucker punch me because he just bladed and, and, and balled up his fist. Well, as he said the word, I'll let you have the first punch, I threw what was probably the worst jab ever thrown, <laughs> right? Because I'm standing there like talking, like I'm not in emotionally invested in the fight. I'm going, I don't, like this isn't kicking range. And understand this, like I'm not at a kicking range, which is Taekwondo's foundation, right? And and you would use like a back fist, a long back fist in Taekwondo for people not familiar with the art to set up a side kick or round kick. You'd use that kind of like as a, like a, like a entry team would use a flashbang. You'd mm -hmm. use it to, as a decoy. And, so we weren't strikers like in other arts. There was no MMA at the time, and, and it wasn't boxing. And so uh, um, I throw this shitty jab that hits him straight in the face. And on the way back, like as my hand hits his face, his right hand launches. So I was accurate in my intuition. He was, he was getting ready to throw that. I just happened to knock him a little off balance with a shitty jab. Well, as that punch comes around, and my arm is still recoiling from the jab, as you can visualize this, I see this punch coming and my hands come up in a startle flinch to protect myself and his, and his overhand right careens off my forearm and he slides into this shitty clinch position. Now, remember, I wrestled, I wrestled for years. I'm inside the shitty clinch and I grab him by the uh, 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 tricep on his right arm and the back of his head, his hair, and I immediately turn that into a hip throw. Mm. So there's a shitty clinch. I fucking whip him to the ground. I have him let go of his hair when he hits the ground. I then get both hands on his hair and I throw him back first into a desk that's right beside us where the fight happened. Mm. Him hitting the desk, like it was like somebody hitting him with a, in the back with a baseball bat. He was just like winded and on the ground. And at that point, I find myself pointing at him. I'm in a like, kind of a low fighting stance and I scream like, 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 I didn't even know where the sound came from. I scream, <laughs> if you fucking get up, I'll kill you, man. And I noticed at that point there, like the whole class gets quiet. Everyone's freaking out. This thing just erupted. <laughs> but what I want to share with you guys and what I noticed then is the only time I was felt that I was in position to do something was after the fight was over. That was at that moment that I realized, oh, I'm in a fighting stance now. But everything up until then was chaos. Now, um, I 
stayed up like all night just reliving that fight. I'm lying in bed, staring at my ceiling, visualizing stuff. And this is this is again, you know, you you, you open a, a, a Pandora's box here, the black box of like, how did this all start? Because the way I teach combatives, personal defense, and safety today, I can look back and do that proverbial look back and go, wow, that fight was the first time I used nonviolent postures. That fight was when the startle flinch saved me from getting punched in the throat, the mm -hmm. nose, the jaw. You know, you know, maybe I'd have been hit in the throat and died that day. Maybe I'd have, you know, been had my nose busted and I went over and knees me in the face and I'm disfigured. Who knows? But this biological airbag deployed. Oh, and it and it bypassed all executive function, right? I didn't have that language back then. This mm -hmm. is all like like all the study I've done for decades now. But and it, it didn't even occur to me then, because here's what happened: is like most people, right? So after 9-11, where did most assets, like financial assets and, and security infrastructure focus go? To airplanes, right? And we know, of course, you know, some people thinking out of the box, like took flights overseas, but most of the world was reactive. And is a maxim that I was using for decades where I said, are you preparing for your last fight? Or are you preparing for your next fight? Mm. Most people prepare for their last fight. Something happens, they go, look, I got kicked in the balls. I need to learn how to protect myself in the nuts, right? Airplanes, you know, get used as bombs. Everyone starts to harden that, right? And so what people do in fighting, and you see it like with UFC, with MMA, a striker goes up against the grappler. He gets taken down. What does the striker immediately do? He goes, oh, I got to learn how to grapple. You know, grapple gets, gets, you know, kicked in the face, gets stunned. He goes, oh, I got to learn how to kick. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but what it is, it's it's an emotional reactive response to what we look at as, as a uh, capability gap and legitimate, but there's a bigger picture that I'll, that I'll get to soon. So what did I do immediately? I mean, I'm, I'm 15 and a half. Uh, I realized, shit, that fight would have turned out differently had I hurt him with a jab and then dropped him with a cross. Because the jab got in, but it was shit. And so what I do, I looked up boxing. Six months later, I had my my uh, driver's license and uh, started uh, boxing. So I took a boxing, fell in love with boxing, uh, you know, and, and did boxing, you know, for years and years and years. And uh, so fast forward uh, to, so that's 1976. 1979, I'm working in my father's office. I'm, I'm in the shipping area. I'm making like $4.25 an hour as a shipper. Uh, and um, I'm, every, anytime we had a shipment come in, I would like, this is like years before Rocky, but I would like punch the crap out of the boxes. And the, these are these big boxes <laughs> coming in from the Orient. They were like an inch and a half thick, man. And you could like nail them as hard as you could. And maybe... You know, you'd penetrate like a knuckle or two would go through and pause. So it was really nice feedback, reminiscent of Rocky, you know, working his body shots in, in, the, in, the, in the meat factory. <laughs> and um, so I would do that. And one day I turn around and I look and I see a good friend of my dad's, his name's Joey, standing there. And he's watching me throw back kicks and side kicks and punches. And he says, hey, and, he, and I've known him for years. He goes, hey, you're getting pretty good at this stuff. I said, oh, man, I love it. I've been training a long time. And he goes, look, my son Mitchell, is, his son Mitch is 15 years old. He says, Mitch is having some bully problems at school. I don't want uh, him to be uh, uh, scarred by this. Would you teach him? 
I said, yeah, of course. He said, uh, uh, how much, how much will you charge me for a private lesson? I go, you're a friend of the family, dude. I'm not, I'm not charging you. He says, no, I want it to be serious. I want you to show up. I want you to be prepared. And I said, well, I, I, I don't, I don't even teach. So I don't even know. And uh, a little background also, I had been already teaching tennis and skiing. I loved coaching. So that was like part of, part of my passion was like to like trying to inspire other people in other sports. So I kind of had that ability to kind of create that rapport and communicate with people, but I'd never taught any martial arts up until that point. And, um, so it was kind of nice serendipity because it, it melded all of the things that I was really passionate about. Right. So, uh, Joey says to me, I'll pay you $20. How's that? So I think that's for five lessons because I'm making four bucks an hour, right? So I go, <laughs> I go, cool, man, like whatever, you know, that'll cover gas. And he goes, so I'll pay you 20 bucks. I want you to come every week. I'll pay you 20 bucks a class. Don't be late. Be prepared. And all of a sudden I realized, did he just, did he just pay me 20, <laughs> 20 bucks an hour? It's 1980, right? 1979. I'm like, holy shit. Um, very, very quickly, uh, you know, I was working like 40 hours a week at my dad's place, you know, Monday, Monday to Friday, sometimes Saturday. Very, very quickly, uh, Mitch lived in a, in a kind of a well-to-do area and uh, his brother wanted lessons. How come Mitch gets lessons? Okay, you get lessons, but it's got to be separate. And then we're working out outside and then, you know, Derek across the street, their buddy, what are you guys doing? Dad, I want lessons. Literally, and remember, I'm 1979, I'm 19 years old. Literally within a month, I had 30, 15, and 16-year-old kids that were all good athletes, playing hockey, skiers, like like taking lessons from me. And I was doing these one-on-ones, and I would do them after work, and I would I taught seven days a week, opened my first school, uh, like official location in 1985. So I did that for six years straight, seven days a week. That's a lot of lessons. Wow. Each one of them had a different issue, but what I was trying to discover, we go back to the beginning of the call, what's your origin story is I was afraid of everything. Like, like I would do everything. So I, you know, I used to compete freestyles, you know, skiing. So I would go off jumps. So if you were afraid, you wouldn't do a jump, you'd snowplow or you wouldn't ski. You would like stay in the bar and drink. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I would do all this stuff, but I did it afraid. And, uh, um, which of course diminished my enjoyment. But also if you talk to a sports psychologist, it changed my ability to hit flow and really excel and, 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 and experience my potential. So what I started doing with these, with these teenagers is these crazy drills, improvising stuff and doing stuff. And they'd go, well, what about this? What about this? And I was like intuitively putting together this holistic approach, uh, mind, body, spirit, of course, isn't new, but this was like looking at the emotional, psychological, physical realities of preparing for violence. Mm. Didn't have such eloquent language back then. Yeah. So Mitchell, this bully situation, he gets into a fight and this is really the big moment that changed everything and changed and really jump-started my company. Um, I'm training for about three months and things are escalating at the school and the school is not um, doing anything about it because it's not physical. And back then, like today, everyone would freak out and everyone would be triggered and, you know, there'd be like a, 
you know, you'd cancel school if somebody bullied you, right? There'd be some sort of, not making fun of what bullying can do, but you know what I'm talking about. Like back in 1980, it was, you know, like people didn't overreact. Like, like we didn't have like little stations to go cry at. Yeah. That's commonplace. Yeah. Right. So, um, uh, so Mitchell says to me like, man, this guy's really getting my nerves. I go, Mitch, has he put his hands on you? Has he, has he hit you? Has he done? He says, no, he's just like, verbally abusive i said so look just ignore him the school's not doing anything your dad's paying me to train you so that you don't get hurt right so if he puts his hand on you that changes everything so next week i come for his private lesson and he's sitting in his room doesn't come out to meet me in 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 the hallway i go down there and he's you can tell something happened you know body language is 60 percent of communication he's fucking livid i go dude what happened he goes, he stands up, he jumps up, he goes, my motherfucker, and he starts yelling like, fucking asshole, I was running. I go, Mitch, calm down, tell me what happened. I don't understand, you know, you're, you're yelling. Um, he goes, uh, he says, I'm late for class, I'm running around the corner, and the guy, you know, he was, he was leaning against the locker banks with some of his friends, he sees me coming, I don't see him, and he trips me, and I go flying in front of everybody, and everyone's laughing. He's 15, right, so he's super embarrassed. He picks up his school books, and while he's picking him up, he says, you know, I muttered. I said, you fucking asshole. And he heard me say that. And it was really the first time Mitch, I guess, had asserted himself. And the guy walks up to him like nose to nose. And he goes, what'd you call me? And Mitch goes, you fucking asshole. I didn't even know you've been you know, harassing me since school started. You know, get the fuck out of my face. And the guy shoves him like that little poke in the, in the peck. and goes, what are you going to do about it, you pussy? And, and when Mitch got hit, it was already like elevated you know, stress state, Mitch grabs him and slams him against the locker bank. So he tells me this. He says, I grabbed him, I slammed him against the locker bank. And I said, don't ever fucking touch me. And he, and he stops telling me the story there. And I go, and he looks at me, goes, he dropped me with a left hook. Ooh. And I'm like, what the, f- what do you mean he dropped you, Mitch? Like, like, that's how this story ends. He goes, yeah. I go, like, why didn't you do any? Why didn't you bob? Why didn't you check it? Why didn't you parry? Because we'd worked all this like dirty boxing shit in close sparring and all that. And he he looks at me, Mike, and he goes, well, he said I was holding him with my left hand like this. And he grabs my shirt. And I had my school books in my right hand. And as he said that, and I've told this story a thousand times. It was like the god of self-defense hit me in the head with a lightning bolt. <laughs> and I, I literally said to myself, oh, my God, we teach self-defense wrong. And I said, we, on behalf of all instructors around the world, collectively. What we do, and it's the same way that many people teach firearms and many te- people teach medical, you know, uh, 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 you know, immediate action stuff. Uh, it's done in what's called block-based training instead of brain-based training where you're Socratically getting people to threat, discriminate, and communicate and figure out, okay, what is the ideal option here? And so um, the, the we teach self-defense. Here's how you get out of a headlock. Here's what you do if a guy tackles you. Here's what you do if a guy has a gun in your face. And everything is done when the it, it's done like, like a DOS statement in the old computer uh, a language, right? If then go to something happens first, and then there's a response. Well, I don't know if 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 you're very familiar with the ten thousand hour metaphor, yeah, um, yeah, right. So Malcolm Gladwell make that made that famous, oh, but it was a research. Yeah, it was a, a researcher 
you know, Erickson, who did the original work. Basically, you know, without getting into the details, if you do something 10,000 times or for 10,000 hours, you're going to get pretty good at it. But the theory, for those of you listening who aren't too familiar with it, it was um, uh, Gladwell uh, cited, whether it was the Beatles, whether it was Michael Jordan, you know, a piano player, what were the qualities that made up a master? And, and one of them was hitting this 10,000 hours thing as part of their practice. There were other factors too. So think about this. If you are a master martial artist and you've mastered how to get out of a headlock and you've done 10,000 reps of that, what I like to point out when I, because most of my courses are for uh, program management and trainer development, and which is why, um, you know, going back to what you said, like, like a lot of people heard about me, but they'd never seen me because I was mostly working with trainers on trying to teach them how to look at how they prepared and organized classes differently than they would bring them back to the end users. So my, my, my influence was in a different classroom at a different level, not really with the, you know, the guys in the trenches and in the, in, on the front lines. Mm, interesting. Uh, um, and, uh, so I would say to them, Hey, you did your 10,000 hours. You're really good. I take like two really good combatives guys. I go, you guys know how to get out of a headlock? And they go, yeah. Okay. Who's going to be the good guy? Who's going to be the bad guy? They would put their hands up all, you know, I'll attack you. Okay, great. And I go, okay, show me the defense against the headlock. And everyone try to visualize this because you've all done this probably. One guy bends over like he's bending over to like drink out of a water fountain. He puts his head, he puts his ear against his partner's stomach and then the attacker puts his arms around and gets him in a headlock. You visualize that? Mm. Like that's fucked up because what you're doing is if you did 10,000 reps of practicing getting out of a headlock, you did 10,001 reps of letting somebody put you in a headlock, mm. right? And so if you do 10,000 reps of, um, you know, doing a gun disarm, you've done 10,001 reps of letting somebody stick a gun in your face. Wow, yeah. Right. And it's so, and so go even deeper. And this is, this is like an intuition I had in the eighties, but in, in the last 10 years, what we've learned about neuroscience is your neurotransmitters and you know, how you, you know, how you're sending messages and doing reps. Cause there's no really, there's no such thing as real muscle memory. You know, I tell people if there's no awareness, there's no chance. And so your muscles don't have memory, but you you can create neurotransmitters and what's called myelinization which is where your, your body and your brain get used to working together based on a stimulus. It develops a pattern. Mm -hmm. And so that pattern is, is critical to understand because, and here's one of our, our mottos for like the trainer development is careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and that, that is, that is super, super, uh, 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 critical. Does that make sense to you? That, that idea? No, hundred percent. I think like the, I, the, uh, the idea of that careful you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So somebody, somebody who's always like every solution is a double leg to take a guy down and ground and pound him. If you're in a multiple assailant threat, your brain might hijack your executive function mm -hmm. and you shoot for the legs, take the guy down, not realizing like this is a, this was a road rage situation and he's got two friends in his car and now you're on the ground. Yep. Yeah, so, think about the classic dry fire where you dry fire. You, you still there, man? Because I, I think I lost you. Yeah, I, I, you got me now? Yep, you're back. Yeah, I think about the uh, classic dry fire where you dry fire, you bring the back, retract it, then rock the slide, and then present the gun again. 
And it's like right. it, it starts over, but you just instilled 50% of a bad potential habit that you're going to do again and potentially again. It's like, where, right. where's the end state of that? Yeah. And, and, and so what, so brain-based training is always, you know, asking, why are we doing this? Why, you know, like, why should I make that happen? And when I take it a step further in the training, it's almost like, well, how did we get here? Because if you understand how we got there, uh, you understand what all the pre-contact indicators are. And then you start asking yourself Socratically, why aren't I moving now? Like for, if I throw a punch at you, I go, I go, Hey dude, what, like, what's your response to somebody talking, throwing a, that, that sucker punch at you? Well, if you're a boxer, you're going to bob and weave. If you're a Wing Chun expert, you're going to intercept it with a lop sow or tan sow or something. If you're a, you know, Taekwondo guy, you're going to lean back and kick the guy, right? Every, combative system every martial arts system creates an unconscious bias by over practicing the moves that make up that system mm. um and so and when i explain this a lot of people think that i'm i'm um uh criticizing systems i'm not that's like that'd be like like me saying you know uh yeah you're using your hammer here but you should really use this mallet with a um a screwdriver to get that screw out because you don't want to damage the wall here and the mallet has a softer edge and this little screwdriver will let you pry it and then someone goes tony hates hammers mm. and i'm going no i'm going like the hammer i'm going to use in a, like at a different time so yeah. there's a time to drop an elbow on somebody and there's a time to stick your finger in his eye and then there's a time to play dead and uh and i was just trying to be provocative so that people really thought, you know, we, we tell people, you know, like I said, be careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing. And that means I want you to, when it, it almost ties into what you guys posted today. And that is like, hey, you're preparing for violence, but are you ready today? If you're going in three years from now, I'm going to go through all these courses. And what, what do you do today? And so the system that I reverse engineered was based on physiology, physics, and psychology. And, and always looking at scenarios and going am I prepared for this scenario? And the scenario doesn't start with me getting out of a headlock. A bunch of shit went wrong if I'm already in a headlock or there's already a gun out. I was joking around. I go like, what is this fucking Star Trek? And the guy beamed down. How did, how did you, how did he get in front of you with the gun out? Yeah. It seems and, like a more comprehensive approach, right? Cause you're not isolating specific uh, skills or specific movements. Like you said, where you're already in a headlock, you're, you're thinking it, you're thinking about it comprehensively, like from scenario beginning to where it ends off into a bad situation. Right. And, 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 and so listen, you know, we can, we can, I, I, I like this metaphor. I say, look, there's, there's a handyman, there's a carpenter and there's an architect. The, the handyman, you know, can do 10 jobs, fix things up. The carpenter can do a hundred jobs and build things. But the architect, if he's good, understands, like the big picture, the blueprint. And so what I talk about when we do our courses is really the blueprint for violence. After you leave that, when you understand it, and it's almost like I tell people like, you can learn how to shoot, but you become a better shooter after you've done an armorer's course. And, and the reason for that is you've demystified and eliminated your fear and stress about how does this, how does this piece of technology work? And so even though in an armorer's course, you're not shooting, there's something different when you put your gun back together and now you grow up in your hand, you go, I really understand yeah. this thing inside and out. Wow, and so what I want people to do, yeah, it's almost like an armorous course for self-defense. Wow. 
Well, yeah, that's really interesting because I think about all the armors course courses that I've been to, and understanding how a gun cycles in its operation, for example, and you, when you look at it, and then you when you do what you're doing, when things happen, it's just not a technical thing. It's like there's some kind of consciousness to it where you understand at a deeper level of what's happening, so you could diagnose potentially what's going wrong, um, and that's that's a amazingly put. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's neat. I mean, what I try to do is, is like, I want to try and come up with examples and metaphors and, and to, to create more buy-in. Cause my, my selfish focus is making you safer. Even if you're just listening to me on a podcast, you know, it's, it's, and, and, you know, it's not, I don't want you to stop jujitsu or Krav Maga or whatever. I just want you to go and again, I keep coming back to your post today. It's like, I don't care if you're in a Prius or a Hummer when you realize like there's a fire raging towards you, of course, you'd rather be in the Hummer because you feel safer. It's way bigger. But if you're a good driver, you know, uh, I, I'm lying. I, I don't think you should be in a Prius, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but but what I'm saying is like if that was the car that you could afford or the car that you chose. Um, and by the way, your battery is going to die soon, but I'm just joking. So the, um, you know, the, but what you're talking about isn't the car that's part of the solution. But if the car gets flat or gets stuck, do you have a go bag? Do you have a first aid kit? Do you have some MREs? Do you like, like, do you like, do you have the money? And, and all this comes back to, and this is really the big stuff that I do now is, um, mindset. And, and managing fear and understanding self-awareness and all of that. But um, I want to just, I went, off, I went off on a crazy tangent. I wanted to tell you what happened to Mitchell because that's really what, what kind of launched my company. Um, so if I, can, if I can hijack the conversation back no, from, absolutely. The, let's, from let's the hijacking it. that I've been doing. <laughs> no, um, I love it. This is good the, stuff. Um, the, uh, so I'm back in, in, in you know, Mitch's uh, room. He's grabbed my shirt. He's simulating the books in his hands. I get hit by my metaphoric lightning bolt going, oh my God, we teach self-defense wrong. And I look at him and I went, oh my God, Mitch, you were holding your books and holding his shirt at the same time. Of course you would get punched in the face. Imagine if all boxers, you know, before they fought, one guy had to like hold on to the other boxer's shirt and hold something in his hand. Like how quickly would you get punched in the face, right? If one guy had his hands free and one guy didn't. So it was so obvious to me there. But what I realized in that moment was I didn't, like I hadn't taught this kid how to think. I hadn't caught, taught him anything about verbal de-escalation or distractions. Uh, I, I hadn't taught what, what became our nonviolent postures, how to, how to be in a fighting stance without anyone knowing. I call it the Trojan horse metaphor, where a bunch of people look at it, all they see is a wooden horse. They don't see the warrior inside. Mm. And... Um, uh, and this is what spawned. That's why I said that moment, moment jump started uh, my my whole path to where I am now, decades later, because I looked at him and I could have said, "Mitchell, why did you grab him? That's so stupid." You know, I told you never compromise your hands. You should have maintained your kicking distance, or you should have, right? But what I did is I looked at him. I said, "Are those your school books there?" He goes, "Yeah." I said, "Grab them and show me." how you replicate exactly what you did. And he was like, what? I said, grab your books and grab me. And in slow motion, we blocked out all these nuances. I did eyes closed versions so I could just feel like the tactile shifts. I went, shit. And I didn't ever say to him, um, you should never have grabbed him because I knew that I might grab somebody too and have grabbed people in confrontations. 
And what I realize is that the mistake that a lot of um, self-defense and martial artists do is they, they teach in a vacuum because they're in their dojo or in their karate school and everything is pristine and perfect. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like you think back to like Chesty Puller, you know, back in, in you know, uh, original Marine days where, where he like, like suddenly has, I don't know if you know the story, most people do, where, you know, he had the guys he was training uh, lying down on the ground and he was shooting over their heads as they were low crawling towards him. I may be screwing up the story. And like people are going, what are you doing? And he goes like, bullets sound different when they're coming towards you than when they're leaving you. And we're st- he was like stress inoculating guys to move towards a threat. Mm. And it was like, like for that, like back when he did that, like that was, that was like, holy shit, that was like innovative. Right. Um, just to know that. And so it was the same idea as like, what, how do we stress inoculate people for real violence in a safer and scientific way? Because you know, you know, an, another another maxim from our scenario program is, you know, uh, um, experience is something you get shortly after you need it. Mm, and so the I right <laughs> And so, you, you know, like imagine if you could synthetically look at an event and then replicate that in training. What you've actually done is created that experience for you, but you're doing it with our high gear suit on. And, the, you know, we created a protocol on this. And this actually system is taught all over the world now. You know, it was, uh, I spent, I spent about 11 years developing it. And then in 1993 started teaching it. Um, but what, but what happened with Mitch right away is that was the first scenario training, totally intuitive. It was like, okay, you were grabbing here. He threw this punch here. Okay. What? And I didn't realize it at the time. But when we reversed position and I had him throw a punch at me, I could feel, you know, because I was holding him like right on his sternum. And, and when he punched with the left, with his left, I could feel my left that was holding his shirt want to push away that startle flinch. I wanted to push him away. Um, but if I was holding him a little bit to the right or to the left, I actually helped him torque into the punch. Hard to visualize just on an audio call. But if you can imagine like like a revolving door, you know, if you're, if you're right dead center on the axis, you're not going to move it or you're going to move it straight back. If you're off to one side or the other, you're going to move it. And I realized, holy shit, I was getting all these like little like biofeedback that was, you know, sending me information. And, um, but I think the biggest takeaway, if anyone's listening to this, who's a teacher is rather than me telling the student he did this wrong, we learned it. Uh, we, we, we relearned it. And, and and kind of reverse engineered it and and I said to him hey uh, next time you try to keep your hands free but if your hands are locked up like this these are your considerations you've got to protect your head like this you've got to you've got to clear your hands and now like years later you know if I'm teaching cops on a vehicle stop and I go look you, you you're, you're you, you got the guy's driver's license in your left hand and your flashlight in his right hand if he makes a move right now, your cross extensor reflex are going to lock up around your flashlight and the guy's ID. You're not going to do wax on, wax off. It's why when you see like these videos of cops getting dragged by by the suspect's car, you know, the cop doesn't think he's Superman and he can stop, you know, a car from driving away. It's he happens to be leaning against the car or holding on to the door as he's trying to pull the guy out and the guy, you know, hits it in drive. He flinches. 
and his hand locks up on the car. Ooh. And at that, at that moment, like this is your reactive brain bypassing your cognitive brain. And, and we are all uh, susceptible to that. That's just, that's just neuroscience. So understanding this can help you mitigate it by being a little proactive uh, and, and communicating to yourself. It's, it's again, it's that armorer's course for combatives. Now, is this, is this the, uh, the foundation that was set for the spear program and, 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 uh, everything that led up to this, to these moments? Yeah. Yeah. So, so spear as an acronym was only created in 1993 after working uh, at Naval Special Warfare. Um, and, uh, the guys, I would always, uh, I used this spear. So what happened was I, in 1980, I started doing scenarios exclusively. Like everything we did was, was, you know, you, you know, have you, have you heard the motivational speaker, Simon Sinek or Sinek yeah, is what's your why? Yep. So, so, you know, he made that very popular, like in the last, I think 10 years, but in the, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to to steal his thunder but in 1986 inside karate did a feature uh on an article i wrote and the title of the article was a word to the wise but wise was spelled w-h-y-s that was 1986 <laughs> or seven that's awesome and yeah but because what i was doing i would say like here's why you should do this and why you should think about this and i was very eclectic uh you know Headbutts, eye gouges, uppercuts, hook punches, shin kicks, biting, improvised weapons, knife, gun. So it was, it was truly like a mixed martial art um, 13 years before the first UFC. You know, we were messing around with that shit, as, as were other people around the world. I'm sure there was a, a convergent awareness. I just, you know, we didn't have the internet, so nobody knew, you know, uh, and I'm just hypothesizing. Uh, but the... Um, we started doing scenarios all the time. So if we practiced a kick, I'd say, what would be the scenario that this kick would be required? And, and I created language for possible versus probable. I'd say based on what we know about life and movement and obstacles and confined spaces, this probably would happen. Everything's possible, but not everything's probable. So we started to look at things more scientifically, like a base, okay, probability. And then that turned into what, what I call PIA's primary initiation attacks. And that would be a formula. So if you were a cop standing inside the reactionary gap, what's the PIA of the suspect? Well, he's not going to hook kick you. He's not going to do some Jackie Chan move. If he wants to get away and he wants to, to surprise you, it's going to be a sucker punch a shove, a tackle, or a gun grab. You know, we studied thousands of dashboard videos and we went, yeah, those are the four moves inside the reactionary gap. Mm -hmm. If you were working corrections and somebody was going to attack you and, uh, you know, picture this just to create this cartoony, you're walking this guy to death row. He's got ankle shackles and hand shackles on, but he, he wants to fucking hit you before he goes. He's not going to hit you at a body shot because he's handcuffed. He's not going to kick you because his feet are, are cuffed. He's going to bite your head, bite you. Those, those are the only two things. And I gave that example there because you could go, I'm a doorman at a club. What's the guy going to do? I'm, uh, you know, an undercover cop with a wire and now things are getting hairy. What are the things that I need to be thinking of or look at? And so what we would do is when we go into different organizations and institutions, we would give them algorithms like a formula where you would plug in who you are, what's the scenario, and it would help you split spit out like the probability of an attack. And then we created 
um, like well, I call it the rules of the role player, where I'd say role player is going to do this because that's going to trigger an emotional psychological response in you. And you can have a primal gross motor movement that you now need to convert into a more complex motor skill. Mm-hmm. So we, we followed the science of physiology and psychology. And this is all like the language sounds much more um, exact right now because in the last 10 years when neuroscience started to explain brain-based and interleaving and all this stuff, I was reading this going, oh my God, this is what I was doing in the 80s or 90s. I just didn't have language. I didn't understand what I was doing. I could just observe people because I did like 11 years of scenario training before my high gear only launched in 1993 when I finally, you know, did five years of prototyping, but we were doing scenarios for 11 years and I would have, picture this, man, I would, we, you know, once a month we would do an open call force on force scenario training at my school in Montreal, Canada. And I would have different martial artists and street fighters and different guys come in and we would say, okay, we're going to work on these scenarios. It wasn't just random. I go like, if you just want to spar, just fucking sign up at a gym and go beat the shit of each other. Mm. We're going to do scenarios. We're going to pretend we're at a bus stop. We're going to pretend we're at a bar. We're going to pretend we're in like a, like a bathroom and you had words with somebody upstairs and now you're taking a leak downstairs, go stand against the wall and two guys walk down. Everyone's in like Frankenstein gear. I had hockey gauntlets on and baseball shin guards and taekwondo chest guard and these Q Kushinkai Japanese like uh, plexiglass helmets um, and it was like so you know that's what that's what inspired me to design impact reduction gear years later was okay like maybe we can make something better but be- back then it was like putting together like pieces like Frankenstein <laughs> but but I would say to guys so I'd say like I'd say you know let's say you sign up I go hey dude what would you do if you were like in a bar you bumped into a guy and uh and uh you spilled his beer on you and him and now he's fucking pissed and i go write that down on a, on an index card here and guy go well i you know i'm from scotland i'd headbutt the guy this guy would go well you know if i couldn't you know if i couldn't de-escalate it i'd take the guy down and just you know hold him until the bouncers you know did that and people would write out what they would do and then we would set up the scenario and i was always coaching role players so we had people in gear as role players and we would set up what I call like a jack-in-the-box moment where someone gets surprised. And I say jack-in-the-box is like, you know, whether you're afraid of clowns or not, no matter uh, how good you were and how ready you were, you could never defeat the head popping out of the -the jack-in-the-box, right? In other words, if you're doing right, and the clown pops, you could be like right beside the box with your three stooges finger jab ready going, I'm going to fucking finger jab that clown. But as soon as that that lid popped, the clown would pop out first. In other words, action's always faster than reaction. Mm. And in a ambush, in a sudden violent encounter, who's action? It's never the good guy. Mm-hmm. It's always the bad guy in that ambush, right? So people ask me like, hey, what's the counter to an ambush? I go, there's no counter to an ambush. You. That's why there's immediate action drills. What you need to do is survive the ambush and then attack the attack or, or select the optimum strategy, right? Um, and this is semantics for some people. I realize that, but, but words are icons and it's very important to, to have that clarity in your training, especially if we're talking about like life and death decision-making. Well, it sounds, it sounds like to me from the beginning, you've been, it's almost like you've been taking the scientific approach of 
not just these vague and indefinite answers, but you've been coming up with solutions based on like reality. And as you've developed this, I'm interested to hear your take on, you know, there's lots of martial arts, lots of practitioners who are teaching like a universal uh, tactic uh, in which to address multiple scenarios. Like, hey, this is how you do this specific move, and it's going to work in all these different uh, versions of it. And and you seem to have uh, this approach where you take the actual scenario and then focus your attention on solutions for that scenario. So, you know, if you're if you're if you have an adaptive method of applying a tactic to something that you've been through before, that's scenario based, then you're more likely to address that scenario with a specific tactic as opposed to like this universal, you know, Gerber multi-tool approach where you just learn one practice and then that's going to get you through most things. And it doesn't sound like that you've bought off on that. That that there is one thing that you could learn and be successful in self-defense. I think, I think the evidence is clear and we should only be looking at evidence. In fact, you know, when I refer to, or when I do a presentation at a conference, go talk, I, you know, one of, one of my presentations is called evidence-based, you know, self-defense or evidence-based defensive tactics or evidence-based combatives. Like, like who's my audience? I changed the last word, but we should be looking at evidence, not at like hypotheticals mm. or, you know, it's, uh, I love to remind people, it's not what we believe, it's what we see. And if you took a hundred dashboard videos or body cam or helmet cam, and the conditions have to be this, it's got to be a sudden violent attack started by the threat. So it's got to be a jack in the box. And then I said, I want you to look at that. And I want you to tell me if the defender responded as per policy and, and training. And the answer is always no. If you didn't, if you couldn't look at the uniform or knew who the good guy was in that initial few seconds of chaos, you don't know who's who. Cause it's always like, just a, it looks like, it looks like, like two humans, like in, in a death match trying to figure out who's going to win. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm not saying they show me 10 like sniper videos and tell me like if this guy's trained. A lot of people fixate, you know, they get, you get that unconscious bias and they'll they'll read information through through that and they'll go, oh, that's that's bullshit. I just read, a, like, I made the mistake of reading a YouTube comment today where, you know, the guy sarcastically said, uh, and it's funny, it's, it's actually exactly tied to... Um, the question you're asking me, he goes, Oh, so you're saying I should never study a martial art that martial arts are bullshit that all. And I'm like, where the fuck did he get that? He watched a video where I, all I was talking about is this, uh, actions faster than reaction in an ambush. The bad guy is action. And what we notice evidence is there's a startle flinch response that bypasses cognition where the uh, if your hands are indexing your long gun, or if you're holding something in your hand, it could be a flashlight, a cup of coffee, your steering wheel, that you will lock down on that. If your hands are free, they're going to come up. They're going to cover your head based on proximity. If there's time and space between that, they're going to push away. The hands will move towards the blast, towards the gunfire, towards the, the you know, whatever the attack is, the punch. And what I've said is if you weaponize your startle flinch, if you convert that, you're back in the fight sooner. 
Why people have a problem with that is fucking unbelievable Dude, to me. That's It's so fascinating to hear you say that because that's exactly how we teach, especially when it comes to reacting to somebody's action in a gunfight. Like, I, I've, and I, I'm interested to just get your take on this because sure. this is something that we communicate about. Where when I was in combat, you know, operating, whether we're doing joint ops with SEALs or just doing unilateral operations, where you're confronted with the guy with a gun. It's completely different than an offensive maneuver that's deliberate where I'm anticipating right. contact. I'm talking about you're going through, and let's say you might be doing sensitive site exploitation. You're looking behind doors, and then all of a sudden you see a, an immediate threat, a guy who's going to shoot you in the face. Well, right. in that immediate action drill, it's like there's, it's almost like you're unconscious, like you're, you're literally turned off because your nervous system, you're, you're in fight or flight. But if you have a source of, uh, like you said, a source of some kind of tactic there, then you could fight through it until the time that you gain, uh, whether it's fire superior order, uh, superiority or the upper hand, you, if you have a mechanism in which to react, which you, you said exactly uh, what, what, I, what I talk about, when, you're like when you turn towards an ambush, if your reaction is, you move your barrel where the threat is because you're, you're, the right side of your face just got concussion blast and you're moving the barrel in that direction. You identify the general location and you're suppressing the enemy because that's your immediate reaction drill to an ambush. Then you have a mechanism in which to potentially survive as opposed to right. not having a tactic and you're turned off and you're just in shock because everything just shut down. And, I, sure, I, and Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. I dig it. When, the so the, my research on physiology is a layer deeper than that. What you're what you're teaching people and telling them is spot on, right? And and so our brain. This is if you're doing it properly and you're 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 telling people, you're demoing it, and then you're creating a drill that replicates it. You're hitting all the adult learning phases, but what you're doing is you're creating not muscle memory, but a connection between situational awareness, neurotransmitter myelinization, the brain then in a high stress situation goes, you know, this is what we know what to do. And, and, it, and it goes and does that. I had a guy in one of my classes where uh, when the role player got hit with muzzle, muzzle strike in a scenario, uh, he was supposed to uh, uh, transition his long gun and then move in to grab the role player in high gear and bring him down to the ground. And we created, created a jack-in-the-box movement there where the role player was going to go to do a shitty tackle. And that would trigger the start of flinch. Your your hands would pop out. Uh, like I say, like a biological airbag. Oh, fuck, boom. You know, like forearms smash out at the guy. And then that was a primal gross motor move. And because we'd practiced so many reps of turning that into something complex motor skill, transitioning, where you you drive the person away, transition your pistol, scan for an opposing threat, and then immediately go back to this, this empty hand threat. Um, and it was like a really intelligent sequence we did. But one of these guys in the class was a world-class jiu-jitsu guy. And uh, when the guy shot to do the shitty tackle, he went right into a guillotine. Mm -hmm. So I walk over, you know, he does the guillotine, he clears the guillotine, he does it for like a nanosecond, slides out, does our half spear into the forearm, grabs his pistol, scans, he does everything. But throwing the guillotine in before was a complex motor skill and it ate up, let's say a second and a half a time during this three second, four second evolution. Can you visualize that? Absolutely. Okay. 
So I walk over and I say to him, I go, dude, very smooth, very good guillotine. I know it works, but you're in a CQB environment. If you're doing a guillotine, both your striking hands and your transition hands are locked up. Uh, I need you to get on your gun. I need you to stay in the fight and I need you to just push this fucker away from you. You don't need to pull guard or sprawl or, or, uh, like I want you to knock him back and keep him, you know, in a field of fire where your team can work together. Mm. Right. And he goes, I got it. I walk back next iteration. He does the same thing again, guillotine transitions. And it's like this, this drill is five seconds long. The guillotines are eating a second. So I say to one of my assistants, I go, like, like, go tell him that because I just told him. He comes over and I'm thinking he's doing it on purpose because I know, like, there's there's 40 guys in this class, you know, there's 10 guys with cauliflower ears, there's 10 guys with boxing noses, there's like everybody in this in this class has a fucking background. And this is what I mean by unconscious bias. Unconscious bias doesn't, it, all it means is your body has done something like, like if all you eat is sushi three times a week and I say to you, order some Oriental food and I'm thinking about Szechuan, mm -hmm. you're going to order sushi. <laughs> like until we communicate, oh yeah, Szechuan is Oriental. Like we say combatives, it's an umbrella, but some people grapple for their combatives and some people strike for their combatives. Mm. And, and the distinction here is what I'm trying to do and have been trying to do for decades is go, listen, the scenario will dictate and there are scenarios where striking would be less desirable and there are scenarios where grappling would be less desirable. There's a time to muzzle strike the guy. There's a time to shoot the guy. There's a time to play dead. There's a time to fucking headbutt the person. And you want to understand those and that's, that's metacognition and understanding. Do I understand how I think about thinking or am I, is everything in a silo? So, this is a, such a great ending to this story. My assistant goes over and I see him nodding and I'm thinking there's something bothering me. I'm expecting some sort of like defensive body language from this guy. Cause he's like, if I grappled with this guy, he would, he would choke me out like 10 times in a minute. I mean, he's fucking world-class, mm -hmm. but I was like, I thought, so my ego as the guy running the course was this guy is showing me that jujitsu could be inserted here. Like I was looking at it through this negative paradigm. Yeah. And, and, and so, and I, that's why I was talking about earlier, about we work on self-awareness. So I'm like, fuck, why is he doing that? Why is, you know, now like the other guy's going to see that and then, you know, people aren't going to respect the spear as much and fuck, you know, and then I'm, I'm exaggerating to make <laughs> a point here, but I'm like, this is like, like, this is a dark moment for me. It's not a big deal, but I'm going, fuck, come on, man. Like, fucking control the class, right? And, um, um, I mean, you've had contrarians in your classes oh, where a guy puts his hand up and goes, isn't it possible that we can hear, like, and I, yeah. like, I've said to people in classes, look, man, okay, stop interrupting the class. When I take your class, I promise I will do what you say. Just experience the class and let's get through it. And if you like shit, integrate it. If you don't, don't, but stop interrupting me to tell me what you would do mm. and um so uh uh the um i see him nod yeah okay i got it and then he does it a third time and i'm about <laughs> to like i'm about to go okay stop and i remembered i was just getting through a book called the talent code which i encourage you to read if you haven't read it um where the author and very lay person he, he went around the world and he studied tennis players musicians uh, soccer players. And he was looking at the coaching 
He was looking at regions that produced consistently the best exponents of those arts or systems or sports. And he, he kind of wove the neuroscience through it and he was explaining neurotransmitters and myelinization. Myelin is almost like, a, for a layperson metaphor, it's like when you've got a, a wire and, you're, and you're, you're, you're wrapping these wires together and then you wrap it in electrical tape a bunch of times mm. to make sure that that connection is secure and can flow in the current as, as, as connected as possible. So myelin as a metaphor works like that, that when you're learning a skill set, the more you do it, with a certain amount of uh, emotional, psychological, physical stress, the thicker the myelin, and that's what we miss, uh, uh, we confuse or misnomer called muscle memory. Mm. Okay, so it's like it's like the guy who who gets shot, and while he gets shot, he's still doing a reload, right? And you're like you're going, oh, like that? Wow, that's muscle memory. Well, that's just that was just fucking amazing training, right? He's just mm. still clearing his jam. He's still in the fight, even though he's got a fatal wound, mm. um, and so. Um, uh, well, after this guy does this the third time, I realized, oh my God, he's done jujitsu at a world-class level for 20 years, maybe. And he's done spear for four days. Mm-hmm. When his, when his body mind in the moment of a realistic, rigorous scenario saw an elevation change in a role player, his mind that had done 20 years, the myelin that was wrapping the neurotransmitter said sprawl or guillotine based on proximity. So it was his, all of his training hijacked him from doing what I wanted to do. Does that make sense? Totally. And it was, and it was like, but dude, it was like this big, I got goosebumps right now, like retelling you that story because it released me from me, like blaming the combat athlete, the tactical athlete and realizing this was his brain hijacking the movement which is and that explained why when we made the corrections he appeared open-minded where i expected some sort of like protective body language going hey what's wrong with what i'm doing he's like yeah yeah i get it i get it i was like does he even know that he's doing the guillotine he didn't even know like it was just like that that subconscious response because he had done it thousands of times wow and how do you retrain that how do you how did you did you get past that point with him um, we got through it cerebrally, but not biomechanically. Mm. But so this is the power of the system. This is what I mean by the, the mental blueprint of violence, but understanding the neuroscience of fear, the neuroscience of, I'm going to use the word muscle memory because people like it, but there fucking isn't any, right? Um, uh, but understanding how your body learns brain-based learning by explaining, and, and here's what I said. I said, if... In that moment, this was a real attack. You muzzle strike the guy, he falls back against the wall. He's got no weapons, but he's not stunned. He comes, you're about to like pull him down. He's 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 your guy you're gonna capture, you're gonna flex tie this guy. So you sling your weapon down and you fucking grab him and suddenly he just shoots at you, like fucking like not shoot kinetic, but shoots at you physically. And uh, at that moment, if that was truly a surprise, and not a scenario, there would be a little, a little micro flinch there. Mm. And now in that moment, so the conversation there is in that moment, would you be safer? Would the mission be safer and you and your team be safer if you just pushed him away and got your pistol out right away or your knife? Mm. And the answer is yes, of course. 
I said, do you recognize that, that doing the guillotine takes you out of these transitions for at least a second? Mm. The answer is yes. Do you realize that when you've got a guillotine on, even if you're doing it for a, like a quick crank to distract a guy, that both your blocking, striking, and your, your, your ability to grab another weapon is compromised in that moment? The answer is yes. So is it safer to do this or safer to do that? So what we're doing is Socratically getting the tactical athlete to go, oh, fuck. I see what you're saying. If you, uh, now, if I said, listen, if you had a secure perimeter and you had 11 of your buddies around this guy and they all had the guns pointing at him and, and you wanted to capture this guy alive and he wanted to fight and you were the best grappler and you slung your, your M4 behind your back and you moved <laughs> in and he shot in, guillotine might work because if this guy somehow you know, got his hand on your pistol or your hand grenade, someone would come over and thump him in the head. Because it's a secure perimeter. It's like an octagon, but instead of an octagon, you've got 11 operators around you. <laughs> right? Right. So, like, so what I try to do is paint a picture where the guillotine might be like really appropriate, but also get them. This is the Socratic brain based learning where I want that guy to leave there going, okay, wow. That's, and that's what I mean by careful you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing. Wow. You know, if you're in a CQB environment, you want your hands on your weapons. I, I like the I like the fact that with everything that you're doing, you're tailoring it for the specific end user and their desired requirement. You know, it's like like the I remember we started learning, and you might have heard of these guys before, but we started learning when I went to special forces on the army side. It was lines training. Which yeah. was, you know, Ron, Ron Donvito is an old friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, grab, twist, pull, and it was a, it it was, it was good because we had nothing else at the time. I mean, right. it was like, what are our options? It's like that's your option. Okay, well, we're doing that. And then I remember, I believe it was 06 Iraq, we started operating and doing joint ops where it was us and like a SIL team, and then we do like just integrate our operators together. And they were all doing your uh, uh, Spears program, right? And and the things that they were saying, I was like, well, why haven't we learned this? So then we started uh-huh. getting taught and instructed by them, and they had guys that I guess that you had either mentored or elevated to a higher standard. I don't know if that was a uh, an instructor program uh, yep. where guys were you know train the trainer where they were training uh, their platoons, their uh, SEAL platoons, and it was a great. It, that integrated with the blower suits and uh, all the equipment was force I, I on love force. That, I love that you call my gear. I love that you call my gear blower suits. It's funny. Is that is that not what it is? Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the name of it's high gear, but but people associated it so much to a training methodology that we we get official orders the blower suit, you know. <laughs> but no, that's cool. But but uh, no, go on, continue the story. No, that's awesome because yeah, we we got the blower suits and it was like. That we had no options, like you said, for equipment and for force on force, and so everything was a theory until we could thump right. on each other and then realize that this was a real tactic that was applicable to our jobs, and it was the only thing that we we had that was that actually worked, you know. And I, I remember guys coming in who had very extensive, like BJJ, um, they had extensive MMA careers, but it, it we weren't in fights in the octagon like you said and so and and that's the thing is yeah so that's the thing you know you got you know you know 70 80 100 pounds of gear on or you've got 15 seconds to clear like like a like a a two-floor house you shouldn't be on the ground grappling if you can avoid it 
Absolutely. You know? um, listen, the the formula works. I've worked with with uh, uh, MMA, you know, legends. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I got to work for a few days with Frank Mir before he fought Noguera and I used the exact same formula with the blower suit. I mean, high gear. Um, I, you know, I used, I used it where I looked at film of Noguera. I said to his sparring partner, stop sparring like you and start moving like Noguera. We're not, Frank isn't fighting you right? Like there's a whole science to scenario training. And that's one of the, one of the verticals in my company is, is just, cause I don't care whether you do wushu, kung fu, tai chi, BJJ. If part of you says, I want this for, for personal defense, you should get a couple of my suits, look at real violence, follow the formula. Cause you don't want to get fucked up with each, like you shouldn't be in, like always we have a motto training should hurt, but should never injure. Mm. Like if you're injured, you're less safe. And so even with tier one units, I would, I would tell them, guys, this is synthetic. It's fake. It can hurt, but it should never injure because we've, the military has spent a lot of money to get you this good. Don't let your ego fuck things up because you're doing a scenario mm. and you want to try and knock somebody out or take somebody down and you wreck somebody's knee or ankle. And now, you know, you know, like he's out, you know, you break your hand, uh, uh, you, you know, because you like boxing and then you break your hand in a bar fight or, or, or sparring and you can't deploy cause you can't shoot, you know, it's mm -hmm. stupid. And so, you know, we, we would look at, we created a, a, like a whole capabilities chart that compared and contrasted all these combative systems. And we would look at things like time to learn risk to limb, uh, 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 uh size or body type, uh, requisites, you know, so if you're five foot seven, uh, you know, 170 pounds and, and your buddy's 225, uh, you know, six foot three and, and your particular uh, troop or unit organization has a, a grappling bias, you know, unless you've been doing it for years, you're always going to lose. And that's going to impact your self-esteem, your confidence downrange or in, in a personal defense situation. Mm. Um, and it's, it, it's interesting. The, you know, you, you pointed this out and I appreciate that, that, that awareness is, what I've, what I've done my best to create and continue to create even to this day. I mean, just last, last week I had one of our, one of our affiliates who's a firearm specialist working on our empty hand stuff, get contacted by a mother. Cause we talk about the science of self-defense and, and that this is good for anybody. Cause it's all based on how physiology uh, bypasses cognition. So executive function gets hijacked in a high stress situation. How do you improve perception speed, decrease reaction time? And these, this information applies to whether you're a soccer mom or a tier one operator. It's just understanding the neuroscience of thinking, the neuroscience of fear, the neuroscience of movement, and it'll make you better regardless of what your personal love is. And, uh, you know, meaning your martial art bias and, uh, and, you know, you can be the sniper and all you do is snipe. But if you're cheating in a card game in the wild, wild west, you need a Derringer up your sleeve. Mm. You can't, you can't be sitting there with a Barrett on the table and <laughs> right. Like you're not going to get to it by the time everyone starts shooting you. Mm, so interesting. Right, yeah. I was right? going to, it was, what's interesting is that I was just thinking about how, how does somebody like you who studied it for so long and created kind of a language, it's like you, you almost have invented the language of understanding uh, the processes of defending yourself physically, and so how do you how do you evolve or progress yourself 
as a person and then as a company moving forward? Like here on out, uh, what what is the tactic for you to uh, stay on top of the of the? I mean, we're learning more and more about the brain, for example, every single day that comes out in case studies and experiments and and just a deeper understanding. It, how do you stay on top of the game in this industry? Um. Man, I have such an obnoxious answer, and then I've got the there's part of my brain going, "Do not say, say that, that at all." Say it, a, say it, so say it. So it's <laughs> it's it's because I am the fucking game, mm. you know. And and I'm not. Here's the interesting thing: as I mentored a few guys years ago, and then they broke away in 2010 and created competing uh, companies, and and uh, um, and went off to say that I had uh, stagnated that things were changing and they couldn't stay around anymore. And I, my answer, when I got interviewed about that, I was like, like, this is based on physiology, physics, and psychology. That doesn't change. Mm. I've, you can read quotes from Aristotle and Plato that if I read it to you now, you'd go, I, and I said to you, and it's one of the things we do in our trainer development. I, I read like this quote that Plato said to allegedly said to someone, I go, Hey, who said that? When was it? And people were guessing shit from last week. And I go, you know, like it was, it was, it's a quote about ego and communication. And, and, uh, and I go, no, that was fucking Plato who said that. And they're like, what? Like, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, how did cavemen fight, right? Like the cavemen developed the first literal spear by sharpening a stick and then sharpening a rock and tying it to it. But before that stick penetrated a giant animal and then eventually uh, like like another enemy, don't you think there was fear and a startle flinch going, man, I hope the stick doesn't fucking break when this bear <laughs> jumps me, right? And so that movement of flinching and the extensor chain, like all the physiology about it, I got asked that on a podcast four years ago. It blew my mind that I never thought about this. Someone said, he said, uh, what do you think is the, the the best martial art for the street? And I said, arts for a museum. You know, <laughs> like like we, we, need, we need to, if you look at all the video of extreme violence, you don't see martial arts. Mm. And, and, and of course there's like, like outliers. There's this video of this guy choking this guy out and the video of this guy doing a brachial stun. And this guy, I remember right around the police world, there was a, like, there was a, 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 um, a, a pimp, drunk pimp walking across a street who, um, it was like literally bitch slapping one of his hookers. And these guys are filming it. You might have even seen this. It, 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 it was like it's a legendary video shown throughout police training. And when the first time I saw it, um, the uh, uh, it's the video from the second floor in the class. And the defensive tactics instructor walks across the street. And as he's walking by this pimp, he does a brachial stun mm -hmm. to the guy and knocks the guy out. Yep. Did, did you ever yeah, see I that? Do, I have seen that before. It's like in the okay. in Russia or Ukraine or something like that. Is it this Europe? guy's got bell-bottom pants. Yep. It's like from the 70s. Or yeah, like, like a tracksuit. <laughs> and and um, and so uh, uh, the 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 reality is there. Like everyone's like, look at that brachial stun. I go, that defensive tactic instructor sucker punched a drunk pimp. It's not impressive. I'm not disputing where the um brachial plexus is i'm just saying like that's not impressive what's impressive to me is when you defend yourself and 
like it's a surprise attack and you weren't supposed to, you know, like that. And, and, and I started getting this con like, not uh, this, like, like this negative response from people. Cause they thought I was attacking like that training or that moment. I was going like, no, let's like, we would say all fights are dangerous, but the most dangerous fight is the ambush. Mm. All fights are dangerous, but it's the ambush. We need to prepare for the ambush. And so what the spear system is and what the startle flinch is, um, is the, 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 it's like a biological airbag, right? I used that term before where I would say, and this is the metaphor is, uh, pretend that we've got all of the best styles in the world, uh, and they're all in their vehicles, right? And so we got the best guy, Krav Maga, the best guy, MMA, um, the best guy, jujitsu, the best guy. And the, the expression, the exponent of that person is represented by the driver. The car is that person's body, their physical fitness. So, and we're all like, like, it's like a start line on a race, right? And we're all sitting in the start line in the race and the jujitsu guy's looking left and right to his right. He sees the Taekwondo guy and he's like, man, I'm going to smoke you here. We're revving our engines, you know, and, uh, the, um, uh, he looks to his left and he sees like a Kung Fu guy and he's looking at him. You guys, you're visualizing this. So oh, yeah. all, all the best martial arts are sitting in their car. The, the car is represented by their fitness, their energy systems. So we've got like, you know, um, um, you know, uh, mag wheels on and, and hearse transmissions and souped up and everyone's got their, you know, whatever it is. And while we're there, every style who goes, like someone goes, well, what's the best? And you go, well, we got to, you know, this Krav Maga's best, Jiu-Jitsu's best, MMA's the best. And while we're waiting for the race to start, an 18-wheeler comes over a hill and he's texting, not paying attention, and he fucking smashes into everybody at the same time, just mm -hmm. crushes everybody. Mm -hmm. At that moment, did our skill set have anything to do with what's going to happen next in our fight in this metaphoric ambush zero if we're all in good shape our car might have something like obviously you know size matters if you're in a, in a souped up prius and you're in a you know souped up you know expedition or, or or hummer you got a better chance but let's not take this too extreme what i'm talking about isn't the armor like i'd rather have you know, uh, plates on me than like, you know, uh, like a, like a, a regular armor if I get shot with a certain round. Right. But you don't know that until it hits you. Hmm. So what I tell people is what did all of those combat athletes with all of this complex motor skill do in the moment they got hit, they all looked up, they all went fuck. And all their hands came up to cover their head, startle flinch. We are all unified by physiology. And so my message is that if we all look, took an armorer's look at the neuroscience of physiology, we would all be safer because the transition there is you need to weather the ambush. We like to tell people if you're scared shitless, unconscious or dead, you're not going to get to the move you've been practicing for 10 years. You need to weather the ambush. That's so that's my niche. When you ask me like, how do I, grow my company or protect my company. Well, we've got three big verticals. One is uh, uh, scenario training gear, our high gear. Mm -hmm. The other is our scenario system, which are part and parcel. So you could be, uh, uh, you know, 
Army combatives, you could be Marine Corps, you could be whoever you want. And incidentally, and I got to throw this out there, there are three copies of my gear. Um, buy what you want. But like, if my wife wants a Louis Vuitton purse, I buy her a real one. I don't buy her a copy. Mm. And if I can afford it. And I just throw that out there because it kind of irritates me that, that people have copied our system and our gear. And, 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 that, and that's cool. But buy what's right for you. Um, in, including, and, and you know this, there's people that, that, you know, copy things that you do. And, 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 and it's frustrating when you're, we're in a knowledge business era where this is how I feed my family. So, um, hopefully that wasn't a negative detour in our podcast, but, uh, I'm looking at a picture of my gear right now as we're, as, as we're talking, but the, how I stay on top of things is by like, like I'm not share, I'm not holding anything back in this podcast. Like if you listen to this, mm-hmm. you can reverse engineer a system, right? Like I, like I'm, I've told you what, what the process is, what the language is, books to reference, ideas and stuff like that. My altruistic intention is to make people safer. Um, you know, obviously I've got fiduciary obligations to my company and I, and I, and I got to sell stuff, but you know, it, 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 I stay on top of it and and I don't know if it was obnoxious or just funny is like, how do I stay on top of it? I, you know, I, I had a doctor who came to do our instructor certification three years ago and we were doing a course in Vegas and um, I didn't know that he was a practicing psychologist for 20 years with a specialty in working with vets with PTSD. He calls me about a year later and says that, because we have a whole other division all on managing fear called uh, the cycle of behavior. Uh, the, the, now, now we call the, um, the program no fear and it's spelled K N O W no fear. Mm. And it's about changing a relationship with fear. The contention is that when we change our relationship with fear, we change our life, that there are many things in life, personal and professional that you need to do while you're afraid, just because you can't get enough reps of doing them where you stress inoculate and you go, you know, well, here we go. Like, you know, you, you did enough reps in, 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 in a, in a battle zone where you weren't like going, fuck, I'm scared to death. You just knew, okay, here's the adrenaline. Here we go. Let's get ready. We're trained. This is our job. Um, and, and, and you would change how you communicate with each other. But where the first time you were doing that, it's like the difference between your first fight and your 10th fight, Mm. you know, you know, first fight, you might be throwing up and Mike Tyson threw up before all his fights. So you can, you like, but if you don't, if you don't make peace with the physiology and the psychology of it, that can, that can hinder you. And that kind of cycles back to me talking to you about as a kid going, I was always afraid. So I didn't enjoy being a really good skier. I didn't enjoy being a really good wrestler because it was just like, Oh fuck, I hate this. Um, and so that's been kind of my life's pursuit. And that's the big thing that we're working on. So we're working with neuro, like literal neuroscientists mm-hmm. um, and, and psychologists. And the psychologist calls me up. He goes, he says, I am having, I interviewed him on our No Fear podcast. He said online, he says, I am having more success helping vets with PTSD using the, the program that I created on managing fear. Um, he said more effective than anything I've learned in 20 years of psychiatry, psychology. Wow. Wow. And so, uh, um, it's, uh, mind boggling to me. So like, I'm, you know, what I've done is I've kind of anointed him. I said, I said, Jeff, like 
I need you working with with a bunch of people. We gotta we gotta get this uh, we gotta get this out and um, and and get more people exposed to this. However, however we can, uh, it's um, it's critical because it's it's just so fast. Because what we're doing is we're teaching people we're we're teaching people that you're going to be afraid, and that's the fear loop. And here are the things you need to say to yourself to get out of the fear loop. You know, and, it, and it's just simple. It's like having a strip map for your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, I love, well, I love the, the way you tie in the science, but you put it, you articulate it in, in, in such a way that people who don't have experience or knowledge or, uh, you know, a, a past in some kind of martial art can understand uh, and how it applies to self defense. I think that's the problem with self defense or combatives or martial arts together holistically is that a lot of things are just the way they are because that's just the way it's been done. But right. when, when you tie in how your brain works and, and we've tried to do this with like um, the, the understanding of how your eyes work or your brain works and tied into a firearm, um, you're creating a construct. It's like you're engineering or being the architect for combatives as opposed to just, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be, grab, twist, pull, because that's just what it is. And it's like, but but this maybe this doesn't work in this scenario, or maybe that's just not how the brain works. And I, I love the way you you tie in the science. I wanted to ask you, because we did get uh, questions that have been filtering on social media, and I always like to tie in the social sure. media uh, audience because they, they ask better questions than I do sometimes. Sure. Um, Risen Warrior Syndicate, which is a a company that we worked with in the past, we just had them on the podcast. They actually uh, profess and talk about your spirit program and system. They actually asked nice. a question that that uh, I'm curious to know as well. They said, "In a perfect world, should the spear system be taught before le- learning defensive shooting?" And I think that's important to understand too. And and kind of your your idea of of where do firearms integrate into some of the tactics that you teach in the spear system and it, should spear be learned, you know, and processed and then, um, and, and, you know, holistically understood before you tie in a firearm into the uh, presentation. Yeah. So, I mean, like two answers, of course, like if, if I'm teaching, if I, so we have a gunfighting course, we have an operator course and, and we've influenced a lot of, uh, of stuff across the board uh uh even i, I think uh, one of your main guys is graduate of our program and uh the the, the it's so easy to learn because it's natural instinctive movement so you can inject it anywhere to augment any type of uh, uh protecting your weapon crowd penetration moving in moving moving people away but the biggest thing is this is like again our focus we start from that that kind of like like the kill zone, the X, and we move out from there as you build it. Like if I go, okay, you just, you just came through a door and you're low ready, you're at a high ready, your gun's not out, you're walking in and you get attacked. Well, if you don't weather that ambush, you can't get to your weapon. So we talk about this idea of weapon protection versus weapon retention mm-hmm. and jokingly say weapon retention is your holster, weapon protection is your skill set, your situational awareness, but most importantly, also your self-awareness. Self-awareness ties into understanding the neuroscience and the psychology of all this. So like your situational awareness is, is going to be hampered by the, 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 the depth or scope 
of and clarity of your self-awareness. What I mean by that is if you don't realize that you're an arrogant prick or that you're prejudiced or that you only practice one type of punch or one martial art, like that compromises how spontaneously you can move in a violent encounter, right? Mm -hmm. um, where if you're there with an open mind, that's good self-awareness. You go, shit, I love this, but if this happened here in this area of operation where I am going to be, you know, working, I'm, I'm working a bar, I'm behind the bar, I'm, I'm deploying, whatever your occupation is. That's what I love about our system is we've got like a bureau bodyguard course for people who have absolutely zero martial art background. We got, we got stuff for cops, we got stuff for military. And it's like, well, how can we be so good at all these? Like, it's not that we're so good at it. It's just that I spent 40 years studying violence and created these formulae algorithms that you plug in who you are and what you want the outcome to be. And then you go, you know what? We just did these scenarios. We did these proof of principle drills. And we found out that this move doesn't fucking work the way we thought it was. Good thing we found out in training. Remember, experience is something you get shortly after you need it. So to go back specifically to the gun question is, is and, and we were, uh, uh, I don't know if it's cool to mention the group, but we've been consulting with, and I'm not going to, an army group. And they brought us in and all of my research on decision-making brain-based research influenced their shooting program. And, and, um, and I'll tell you offline who it is, you know, it is, but it's, it's, uh, but it wasn't that I was teaching people how to shoot. They were all better shooters than me. I was teaching people how to learn. I was teaching people how to think. So we weren't teaching people to memorize stuff. We we're pe teaching people abstraction. This is A, this is C. What do you think B is? And how quickly can you do that? So you improve perception speed, you decrease reaction time. So this, the, when, you, when you study spear, what you're doing is you're looking at yourself as a human weapon and trying to optimize yourself as a human weapon. Mm. So, so whether somebody has come to so we did a bunch of uh, we designed some really cool capture avoidance courses in those courses were very experienced operators but also people who were just like at zero shooting experience they were just in this program because they had a job to do because they had a special skill well they would be in the same class and go through the same training how's that even fucking possible because i was saying i was just we would share with them this is physiology and this is what's going to happen when you're surprised this is the fear spike and this is how it hijacks your brain and how it fucks with your executive function mm. and and uh it was interesting i was at i was at bragg uh one week and many many years ago i get down a bit early and i'm sitting there and uh, having coffee with a couple of guys and one of the guys says hey man uh you know, um, you want to go jumping this afternoon? And I know what he's talking about. So I go like, you mean like up and down, like on the ground jumping? And he goes, ha ha ha, very funny. You know, uh, I go, no, I'm good, man. Like, uh, I don't like jumping out of airplanes. And he goes, oh, oh really? I thought you're like Mr. Fear Management. And he does air quotes when he says fear management, <laughs> right? And I go, and I go, well, I am a fear management expert and I'm managing my fear by not jumping out of the fucking airplane. <laughs> so he laughs like you and his buddy laughs. And I said to him, I said, uh, so you have no fear when you jump out of an airplane? And uh, he goes, fuck no, man. I fucking love it. I jump all the time. I got 600 jumps. I go whenever I can. And um, and I turned to his buddy who's not as engaged. I go, what about you? You like uh, jumping out of airplanes? He said, well, I do it because I have to. I, you know, I'd, <laughs> I could live without it, right? And I go, this is a great example of what we mean. This guy is managing fear. You're not. You love it. And so here's the idea, like you can't be brave if you're not afraid. I'll say that again for everybody. Ooh, like you that. can't be brave if you're not afraid. Mm. And so I don't want to learn skydiving 
from somebody who's not afraid of jumping out of an airplane. I want to learn skydiving from somebody who doesn't like it, but has figured out how to check everything fucking three times and make sure everything's right so he's good to go. Right. And it's the same thing. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of guys out there that teach uh, law enforcement, military combatives, and they love to fucking fight. Mm-hmm. I like to teach people how to not fight. I don't want this to be a, a battle of attrition, a, a, like a drag down knockout. I want it to be cerebral. I want it to be I want it to be efficient. And so my the fact that I abhor violence and that I fear violence has has inspired me to study it at a level that somebody who goes, you know, some days you're a bug and some days you're a windshield. Look at this. I broke my nose like 27 times. I'm going, you know, like somebody goes, I've been in 600 street fights. That's why you need to learn from me. I'm going, hey, would you take driving lessons from somebody who's been in 600 car accidents? Because <laughs> I consider like like street fights like that. And someone goes, no, I was at a, a doorman at a, at, a, at a rough club. I go, a doorman, yeah, you got fighting experience, but you're watching somebody get drunk for two hours and then fighting a guy who you know you're going to fight because you can spot that behavior. Mm. Now, this doesn't diminish like they're, the fact that they're dangerous or they're courageous or they're this or that. But for a lot of the population, I think, I think this more cognitive, like, like, uh, um, kind of like what's the, what's the best one I'm looking for it's like a more behavioral approach resonates with a lot of people and and I come back to I said it a few times here you look at body cam helmet cam dashboard video of real violent encounters the evidence doesn't support the fact that just because you train in a particular modality that it's going to manifest itself to save the day what's mm-hmm. what saves the day is grit tenacity will indignation these are things that we discuss at our course so that you're a, you know, uh, an untrained, out of shape mom who's suddenly like in a, 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 a an attempted rape or abduction situation or, you know, or somebody trained. We can all have our, our minds hijacked. So did I even answer the question about the fucking gun? No, absolutely. I so. No, you absolutely did. I, I, I'm curious to, <laughs> to, to get your, uh, your take on the integration of the firearm, um, you know, I know a lot of the stuff that uh, you teach is scenario based, but somebody who's looking into self-defensive firearm training, and then yeah. and then you uh, you have the spear program. If you know, you should learn the entire program in its entirety, and then integrate the the firearm. Yeah. So into so, it. so here's a, here's here's a cool thing. I literally can teach somebody an end user uh, in a day. And people hate that. They go, oh, Blower's a scammer. That's fucking bullshit. I go, can you take a tactical first aid kit and force a first aid class, learn CPR, how to put on a tourniquet, mouth to mouth, a bunch of other things in four to six hours mm-hmm. by a qualified EMS paramedic? Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. Yep. And now you've got life-saving skills, but you've got skills to save somebody else's life, not necessarily your own. And of course, putting on a tourniquet on, on your own wound can do that. But you're buying time to get to you know, so like a more skilled paramedic who's then buying time to get you to a hospital. The idea here is like, how do I take that concept and apply that to self-defense? Well, I spent 40 years studying violence and I put together a course called Be Your Own Bodyguard. It's a one-day course. We have a program that's adapted to conceal carry. The idea here is like, unless if you're the target or in the kill zone, what's going to happen is you're going to start a flinch. That's why if you study forensics photos, 
you'll see bullet wounds in hands and forearms and knife wounds in hands and forearms. That's because the startle flinch is faster than a speeding bullet or the knife. Mm. What we need to do is weaponize that reaction and move in the, and, and move from there. And this isn't a guarantee. It's just, again, that, that understanding the neuroscience behind it gives you a better chance to manipulate what your body's going to do in a high stress situation. And, uh, um, so it's kind of like anticipatory as opposed to reactive. You're just a little bit faster. Uh, it, it's kind of cool. So, you know, the idea here is, is, and I've interviewed a lot of operators. I go, hey, like I heard you were in an ambush. Can you tell me what you did? Oh, immediate action, man. Yeah, okay, what'd you do before the immediate action? And they look at me like with a blank stare in their face. They're going like, what do you mean? I go, well, before the immediate action, didn't something happen? Like you're walking down the street and fucking bullets come whipping by your head and go through a car or hit a wall or a house. What did you do? Charge the threat, fucking, you know, identify the threat, charge and fucking, you know, suppress, blah, blah, blah. I go, no, like think back. And it takes sometimes a minute or two. Yeah, the literal moment. But but then everyone goes, everyone goes, oh yeah, I fucking flinched. Right. So if you've seen, I, I use a lot of like other uh, photos in our classes, like baseball pictures and soccer pictures of like pro athletes and people like uh, like flinching, even though they know they're in the game. Because in the moment when you go, oh, this is going to hit me in the face, your body says, move out of the way, motherfucker, you're too slow. And that's that startle flinch. You know, it picks up danger that your cognitive brain didn't pick up. So um, that's that biological airbag, like that, that driving metaphor. We're all sitting at the light, ready to go. And then somebody runs the light and hits us. What saves our life is the airbag in the car. Mm. What saves your life in the ambush in the street can be this biological airbag. Weaponizing it gets you back in the fight sooner. So we teach that as the somebody comes at you with a knife or pulls out a gun and your body goes, oh, fuck, right? And your hands come up. If you're within range, do you get shot in the hand as you get your head offline? Do you clear that? And so we have a whole really cool gunfighting program. And maybe one day we'll collaborate on a class and bring this amazing. together. I, yeah, I've, done a, I've done a bunch of these where like, and, and it's not like a, like a thing, like somebody who wants to do a trainer's course, it's a much longer investment. But, you know, an end user course, you, you like I, 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 and I love sharing this idea with people is we confuse technical with tactical. You don't need to be technical to win a fight. You need to be tactical. And you could be very tactical. Like if I pick up a garbage can lid and smash you in the face as you're like a purse snatcher running by and somebody's yelling, stop him. And I am standing near a garbage can. I pick it up and I whip it at you. I don't need to be technical. I don't need to think what's my grip. How should I stand? Should I be in a horse stance here? Should I step forward with my left leg or right leg? I just whip it at you. And that's tactical. Mm-hmm. And so in, in a real fight, at close quarter with lots of fear and lots of danger and things moving fast. We, when we do our scenarios, you catch people who have a long, like remember muscle memory doesn't exist, but they have this muscle memory. These, this myelinization of a different process, just like the um, jujitsu guy go like that's technical and it's great, but is it the most tactical thing you could do? And that's where the light bulbs, you know, often happen. Hmm, I love that. Um, what is the, if you had to, um, uh when we're talking about these different types of tactics and the courses that you run, what's a good course for a beginner to get into with you to train, train with you? Do you have a, you know, is it a process like, Hey, I'm going to take the first course and it's a basic course. We listen, we, we, we have like, so we have a division for the general public 
our beer and, body, beer and bodyguard thing. So that's we we go into companies, corporations, or just make people safer. The expatriates, uh, patriots, they're moving. You know, they got a high female population, whatever it is. So we've got that, and we've got specialists who do that. So that's kind of an end user thing. Then we have a program uh, uh, called the Spear PDR program. PDR is Personal Defense Readiness. That's an instructor qualification course uh, that uh, has. It's got 52 videos that are that are uh, online streaming. You prepare for the class. It's a two-day class, and it's and it's attended by people who want to teach commercially in their neck of the woods. There's an application process. Uh, uh, you know, there's a an implied background check. We ask people about stuff. I say implied because I don't hire a company to do stuff, but you know, I ask people, okay, like you know, who are you? Where are you? We check them out a little bit. And, and, and they apply to that. And then, and then we've got, uh, another course, our, our longer, more in-depth course that is only for active duty. And so we've got a law enforcement focus one. We've got a, a military emergency service. We have a program that we just put together for, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, fire department and, and EMS and stuff like that. And so the, the neuroscience and the design of the program is the same, but what changes is now you're fighting in the back of an ambulance and that's your scenario, guys on drugs, and we're replicating that versus, you know, uh, uh, you know, something in a, in a CQB environment or something inside a reactionary gap or, or, or something in a correction. Here's an interesting thing with big agencies, and I'm not going to mention the two companies, just or not the two companies, but uh, the, the organizations. But this is out of Australia and another one out of Canada um, that adopted the spear system because the spear system is based on this instinctive startle flinch. And, you know, when you get through the course, you realize we build that neuroscience into our de-escalation strategy. So the nonviolent postures, we, we, we use the biological airbag, i.e. the spear to intercept um, uh, the primary initiation attack. So this could be inside a reaction or gap. It could be a vehicle extraction. It could be I'm at an ATM. I turn around, I get an attack. And because it's primal gross motor, people can learn it. And then that transitions to... Uh, indexing the threat and then threat discriminating. So should I knee the person here? Should I contact shoot the person here? Is it a headbutt? Should I push them away and run away, right? So we got a call from uh, this Australian agency that they have eliminated 14 moves from their lesson plan that they were teaching. You said this, you said this earlier where uh, you were talking about how a lot of uh, traditional martial arts are the way they are because that's the way they've always been where we pass on from generation to generation, but we're not looking at the efficacy in real life. So that'd be like, like, you know, a police officer who, who jumps on his horse in a car chase because he's always ridden a horse realizing like, no, I need to be getting in, in, in my Corvette now or my Mustang or my Ferrari or whatever, because this guy's taken off. I shouldn't be on my horse. You know, um, I hope that that makes sense because there are still cops on horses, but, um, more ceremonial, of course, but the but the idea here is it was so cool. And in in Canada, we had another agency that eliminated fourteen moves. And what they're talking to me about is the simplicity of the spear, the, like the biomechanics of it and the utilitarian aspect of it, has allowed them to use it almost as a fulcrum, metaphoric fulcrum, to sweep the leg, mm -hmm. to apply a pressure point, to pin a guy against the wall and get cuffs on him. So they're eliminating like all these other complex motor skills. So they're, what they're doing is they're getting back more rep time, making their people more efficient. Mm. Uh, and that's exciting, right? Because it, it's just, 
it's 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 a natural instinctive way to move yeah it, it's like ancestral it's just getting back to basics right um one uh one last question i want to ask you came from a uh, balanced life aloha and she's a influencer that we actually uh, work with that teaches a lot about um from her perspective as a female about her situational awareness her um, self-defense and her journey and that with her family. And she yep. asked the questions, uh, how do you explain the basics of situational awareness to people who've never considered uh, such a way of living? Like, how do you explain or uh, define your ideas of situational awareness? And then how do you implement that into your life? That's a great question. And, and it's interesting. So a couple of things that, that are, are, are all our programs, we talk about this metaphoric intuitive kind of DNA level GPS. And what I mean by that are like our, our, you know, the, you got your GPS in your car, every victim of violence. And this is like right out of our lecture. So this is, as everyone listening to this, it's as if you're in the course, every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling about the attack. And, and if you take that to heart, that means a hundred percent of the people that I've interviewed, a hundred percent of the people that I've read about, said if they were interviewed properly will say yeah so i knew something was wrong but i didn't know what they're saying is i didn't know what to do about it so when you're teaching situational awareness you need to connect that to self-awareness and you need to talk about cognitive dissonance you need to talk about people outsourcing their safety um if i say to you hey you know you should really like do x y and z when you're you know parking in an underground parking lot and they go, what are you talking about? There's a security guy at the front. I go, yeah, but you're in the third level down. Well, you know, like, yeah, but that's ridiculous. I've got, I've got my keys in between my fingers, you know, and they just like, they just always have an answer. Like a student like that isn't coachable. So you can't teach them about situational awareness. Um, the, the easiest way to teach people about it is to find examples in real life where their intuition and their instincts help them solve a problem. Mm. And so what I'll do is I'll go, you know, someone goes, well, I don't know, you know, they're going, I don't know. I go, did you ever, you know, go into business with somebody and then have a bad feeling about that person and then uh, tell somebody else and you do a background check and you find out that he did file for bankrupt twice. Like, like if you start to connect how potent intuition is and how, there's no downside to choosing safety. It's one of our principles in class is always choose safety. And choosing safety isn't the same as playing it safe. Mm. So you you cultivate respect for intuition as an instincts and intelligence as the ingredients of situational awareness. Mm. And and it's you know, again, it's it's easier in a class when I can see body language. And I, you know, we do another drill called like a dissonance drill, where I have somebody stand up. And, 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 and I walk towards them and I, and I tell them, I'm going to walk towards you slowly. And you tell me when you feel any change in your physiology and I'll start like 20 feet away. And I'll, you change anything in your physiology. If your ass gets tighter, if your breathing changes, if you feel hair move on your body, if you want to look away, any change you tell me, and I start walking towards them and I can see the change happening as they're say it. And so I'll say it as they go now. So I'll be walking and they go now and I go now, like just before them. And they're like, Oh fuck, how did you know? Cause you can see it in body language. So what I'm doing for the class is saying this person was in zero danger from me. They're in a self-defense class 
but I was able to elicit a physiological change by just getting too close to them. Wow. And I go, so like we have, what I'm trying to explain to people is that we've got these organic skills, mm -hmm. but we've all been domesticated because we think the cavalry is going to rush in because we <laughs> think we can just hit fucking 911 on our phone and the police are going to come. And as much as the police would like to be there, nobody like during an active killer situation, everything's done by the time the cops get there. Mm -hmm. If, if somebody's attacking you, I tell people, you don't have time to dial 911 when someone's attacking you mm -hmm. and you're probably getting attacked because you're looking at your fucking phone. So get off your phone. Right. <laughs> so, so there's a situational awareness, a tip. There's so many things to, to, to talk about with that. But, but if she's teaching, one is any of your, anyone listening to this and teaching, I would, I would listen, 81, uh, 80 to 90% of the people who attend our courses already have their own business. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so the, what they're realizing is like, they're going, holy shit. Like this is another certification I could add that one, it'll differentiate me from my competition around me if I get this, but it's, if you listen to what I'm saying and you hear a universal truth in the message, like that's the reason to do the training. And so um, I would encourage uh, her and other people like to, to look into our, our, our instructor development stuff. So you understand it deeper than that. But the message there, if she never gets to the class and no one gets to the class and I'm not leaving you hanging, I'm not like trying to, this isn't a fucking infomercial. I'm really trying, is that if you're trying to teach people about situational awareness, you need to explain to them like, like the architect going, if we practice just the fighting, we predispose ourselves to just fight or maybe freeze because we're overwhelmed because we've never thought about the emotional, psychological impact of violence. Mm, that's amazing. And you'll see that, yeah. right? And from books as, as old as the fog of war, you know, uh, uh, like soldiers not shooting or shooting high because when it can kind of kill the enemy, they like went, oh, fuck, I can't do this now. That's the emotional, psychological impact of violence. The physical skill set was the same. They still couldn't pull the trigger. And so the idea here is we break this down as the three Ds, detect, diffuse, defend, detect, and avoid is D1. Defuse and deescalate is D2. And if push comes to shove and you cannot escape or deescalate, you got to fight. But if you don't have like an emotional psychological toolbox that is coaching you through that, you may not fucking do what you thought you were going to do. Wow. Wow. Right. Uh, Crazy, Tony, right? Tony, man, I can't, we're coming at the end of the podcast, and it just my mind is blown right now because I'm, I'm just learning so much. Um, and Thank it's you, just, buddy. it's it's reinforcing uh, the things that we think about, but you articulate it so well and communicate it so well that it just gives you. It's almost like building a house and the infrastructure that you need in trying to understand the process. It's uh, what I hate about tactics is so many people have their own spin on things but they can't articulate the why and they can't definitively right. give you the tools necessary for you to implement it yourself. So it's like if, if you can't give people the tools and it's just a, a replication or emulation of, of a movement, that's not helping me. I need stuff that, you know, I could train my own trainer, which is myself to be better or to, to right. think about this process. And it's amazing and, the way you, and, you and say it. Thank you, man. And that, and that's almost what I say metaphorically, like there are as many, martial arts systems as there are people when they run through this filter in other words if you trained with me your body type your mindset your life's experience are going to influence how you integrate and move and so 
you'll have your own expression. I think that's what's important about what we do is we're not trying to get people to move a certain way so they look a certain way. This isn't like the courtyard scene in Enter the Dragon for anyone who's a Bruce Lee fan that were like everyone's standing there in horse stance doing reverse punches. Again, not knocking martial arts, but like spontaneous self-defense is going to look always different than than martial art and that comes back to that that vehicle metaphor that you know we've got all these people that are all badasses lined up and then suddenly a truck hits us all at the same time we're all startled flinching and we're just moving like humans not trying not to get fucking crushed Mm. um and then what we do after that is we got to manage our fear and then move tactically to get out of the accident and that's the metaphor for a sudden ambush you weather the ambush uh, you create some emotional, psychological, and then physical space, and then you return fire, whatever that means. Mm, I love that, man. I, I, well, how do people that are listening to this podcast tune into uh, your content, your training, your schedule, and everything that you have going on? Is there websites, social media, yeah, et cetera? Yeah, of course. Uh, um, I mean, if you Google Tony Blower, you should get a lot of stuff, but my, my main website is the URL is Blower Spear. And Spear is the acronym for Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerator Response. It's all about the the neuroscience of converting the flinch. Um, But it's Blower Spear, one word. I'm on Instagram. Uh, If you just go to my Instagram page, there's a a, a link there that takes you to, you know, some of the most popular links. Um, So you just get there. And of of course, I'm on on Facebook and Twitter and, and and all of the usual places and and i'll send you a bunch of links too so i don't i you know however you do your show notes we can include yeah i'll put i'll put it at the well. bottom of the notes and you you have a podcast as well right yeah so i um i have a podcast called no fear K-N-O-W, fear and um it's very eclectic i'll have athletes on there to uh you know uh, cops that have been in gunfights to pro fighters to psychologists and um, I try to, I try to only have people on that have trained with me from some diverse background, and then integ- somehow integrated this in their in their life. For example, one of my favorite is, is like a guy, Glenn Sunshine. Never met him. He's a university professor, but he's a martial artist. He bought an audio tape I put out in 1993 called "Cerebral Self Defense: The Mental Edge." Loved. It was all about fear management. Because my contention's been, if you're scared shitless, unconscious or dead, you're not going to do your next move. Makes mm-hmm. sense to me. And um, he started, he wrote me a letter, like like something like 10 or 15 years later, thanking me for helping raise his kids. And I was like, what? He's like, he goes, man, I, I, my kids grew up different than all their peers. The way they travel the world, the jobs they do, the way they handle stress and conflict is completely different their, than their peers. And I was thinking, he's a professor, so he's introspective. He goes, I was thinking about why is that? And he says, the only thing that I did different than other parents is I taught them that, like my whole no fear system. And I thought that was like, holy shit, like that. And I, I, I like to share that because, you know, the likelihood, I mean, I don't know the demographics of your audience, but fear impacts us all every day. Yeah. Public speaking, who we talk to, worrying about getting a test result in school, medical. We all carry the weight of fear around, right? And I, I know operators, as you do, who they'll jump over an airplane, charge a threat, but they can't say, I love you. They can't say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. They can't, pub- you know. And so this whole thing, if you told me, Tony, you got two choices. You can continue teaching the spear, the physical stuff. 
making our warfighters safer or you could only do talks on the psychology of fear. What would you pick? After 40 years of teaching, I'm 59 now, man. I've been doing this for fucking 43 years. I would teach the no fear because if I if I have an operator in front of me and I teach him the neuroscience of managing fear, he's a more dangerous operator. Mm -hmm. If I teach a soccer mom about the neuroscience of fear, I know that she's going to fucking stick her thumb in somebody's eye or grab an improvised weapon because it's managing fear that changes everything we do. Mm, I love that way, man, that, that, that whole line of just how the simplicity and that message, uh, and then the, the, the really way that you articulate it is just so impactful. And I, well, I want to say one, thank you so much for being on the podcast and thank, thank you, you for, you know, a lot of people do what you do and they do it in different ways and they're incentivized in different ways. But the way that you uh, teach, the way that you commit your life, I mean, 40 plus years of, of practice and teaching and giving back. Um, I just want to say thank you. And it's a, it's an honor to have you on the podcast, especially knowing your name for almost two decades now, and then finally get to talk to you. Uh, it was a learning experience for me. And I know a lot of people who are listening to this podcast. So, so thank you so much, Tony. Thank you, man. Be safe. And thank you everybody for listening.